John uh, chapter 20, reading from verse 10. Uh, Then the disciples went back to their homes, but Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white, seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they've put him. At this, she turned round and saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't realise that it was Jesus. Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned towards him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, do not hold on to me, for I've not yet returned to the father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them I'm returning to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone their sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now, Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side... I will not believe it. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Let's pray together for a moment. Father, thank you for your word which is given to us that we may believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and have life in his name. Father, this morning may your word give life to us who listen. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, It's uh, often our practice in... Holy Week to reflect on the last seven words of Jesus, the last words that Jesus 
uh, spoke from the cross. And um, often we do that during Holy Week and on Good Friday, we think about Jesus's last words. Uh, Well, as I was uh, sort of reflecting this week and preparing for this morning, I was struck by, um, uh, you know, by the last seven words, but also by the first words that Jesus speaks. Seven last words that he speaks from the cross, but it seems to me there are seven significant words that Jesus speaks on that first Easter Sunday. The first words of the resurrected Jesus. And I want to reflect on those um, this morning and to think about the last seven things. There there are two of them that we uh, are reflected on on Easter Sunday, so I won't spend too much time on those. I do just want to revisit them quickly this morning. But then there are five other words Uh, I think that Jesus speaks to his disciples on that first Resurrection Sunday and that he speaks to us as well because he's the living Jesus who speaks to us. And on this Sunday, as on every Sunday, we think about the resurrection. It's our day of resurrection where the Lord Jesus speaks to us afresh. So seven words. uh, And as I say, the first two are words that we reflected on last Sunday, but the first Words of the risen Jesus to Mary are, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? So significant that the very first words that Jesus speaks are spoken into someone who is grieving. Someone who is mourning the loss of a loved one. Someone who who thinks that they are never going to see this person again, um, uh, grief is it, it's so final when we grieve over the loss of a loved one. I remember when my mum died um, many, many years ago and uh, she was in a nursing home in Peacehaven and I was at college in Bristol at the time and we got the phone call um, sort of early evening to say that uh, she was probably going to die that night and that we should get to Peacehaven as fast as we could and I drove with my sister from Bristol and we arrived. Um, we were just a bit too late. Uh, my mum had passed away about 15 minutes before we arrived. But I remember um, sitting in the room alone with her, sitting on the edge of her bed, uh, just looking at her uh, body and just being struck by the finality of death. Uh, that she was, you know, she wasn't there you know physically she was there but she was gone and and in that moment you know the grief that you feel is well you know I've lost I've lost this person who I loved I'm never going to know them in the way that I you know that I knew them that's your kind of focus and Mary when she comes to the tomb that's her state of mind she's coming to grieve she's coming to mourn and then in the midst of that Someone she thought was dead speaks and says, why are you crying? Who is it that you are looking for? And in that moment of grief, everything is changed because these words are spoken by someone who she thought was dead. And uh, we've you know, prayed this morning for our queen who above all else is grieving the loss of her husband of 73 years this morning and as I reminded us at the start of our service uh, the Queen has has spoken uh, more and more explicitly about her Christian faith in recent years and we know this morning that she will be finding comfort in her saviour her comfort 
in the risen Lord Jesus, that this morning, as she grieves, she too may hear those words of Jesus, who says, why are you crying? And we pray for her, that she will, in these moments, know the comfort of the risen Lord Jesus. Who are you looking for? Mary was looking for Jesus. In our grieving, when we encounter loss in our lives, when we find ourselves in times of difficulty, times of trial, who do we look for? Uh, Well, we're reminded this morning that we, uh, we look for the one who is bigger than our circumstances, the one who is greater, the one who is sovereign, the Lord Jesus. That's the first thing the risen Jesus says. Why are you crying? Who are you looking for? The second thing, again, as we reflected last Sunday, just a single word, but a word that that is so significant because it speaks of a personal relationship. It speaks of intimacy. It speaks of a God who cares about the individual. Jesus says, Mary. I was just having a quick look um, this morning at the, the titles that... Uh, the Queen has, and the Queen has a list of titles as long as your arm. But this morning, Jesus will be speaking to her with just one word, and that will be her name. That's the Lord Jesus comforts her in her grief. He doesn't reel off a list of her titles. He simply speaks to her. And we'll be saying Elizabeth, because that's what the risen Jesus does. He knows us by name and he speaks comfort to us by name. We're reminded this morning that the Lord Jesus died for us as individuals. He knows us as individuals better than we know ourselves. And it's a risen Jesus who brings comfort to us and speaks our name. The third thing Jesus says, verse 17, he says to Mary, her her instinctive reaction is to want to hold on to her. And Jesus says, don't hold on to me. Don't hold on to me. For I have not yet returned to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them I'm returning to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Her, Her instinctive reaction is to hold on to Jesus. She, she thinks, well, I've, I've found him again. She wants to hold on to him. But Jesus still has something else um, to do. Uh, we were thinking last week that on the cross, uh, Jesus' last words from the cross are, it is finished. It's finished. His work is finished. He's offered himself as the sacrificial lamb on our behalf, in our place, for our sins and wrongdoing. The, the work of the cross is finished, but Jesus' work is not quite complete. Work of the cross is finished. There are no more sacrifices that need to be offered, but Jesus knows there's, there's there's still a completion to come, that he needs to return to his Father. He needs to return to his Father in order that he may send the Holy Spirit. We'll think a bit more about that in a moment Jesus says, don't hold on to me. Uh, There's more to come. Uh, Don't cling on to what you thought you 
thought you knew there's, there's more to come. Don't remember, and Jesus is always saying, you know, don't remember me as you knew me before because now I'm resurrected. This is different. This is different. The resurrection changes everything. The resurrection opens the doorway to a new way of life. That's what we know in the Lord Jesus. That's what we worship and what we celebrate. Jesus says, don't hold on to me. Uh, go and tell my brothers I'm returning to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Jesus invites us to be part of his family. He opens the way for us. To become part of his family. The Apostle Paul, uh, writing to the church at Rome, reminds them of this. Uh, He says, um, you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship, of adoption. By him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Now, Jesus says to Mary, go and tell my brothers, go and tell the disciples, I'm returning to my father and now your father, my God and your God. We're invited into the family of God through the Lord Jesus Christ. He's opened the doorway to uh, a whole new way of life. And then on that first evening uh, of that first day of the week, the disciples are together. Jesus comes and speaks again. And this time uh, he says, peace be with you. Peace be with you. He says it twice because he, uh, they encounter him at a time when they are fearful. Uh, they're in a locked room. For fear of the Jews, they are locked in a room because they are uh, afraid of arrest. They're afraid that they themselves will be rounded up and put to death. And it's in that situation, in those circumstances of distress and grief, they haven't really understood what's what's going on. There's confusion. And it's in the midst of that that Jesus comes and speaks peace. I read some years ago the story of two artists who were... Uh, were told to go away and paint a picture of peace. Uh, and the first artist came back a couple of weeks later and he'd, he'd gone up into the mountains and found this beautiful scene depicting peace, these lovely snow-capped mountains and a lake and everything is still. The lake is flat, calm, There's nothing is moving. And he said, this is my picture of peace. And it depicted perfect Peace, nothing moving, everything still. And then the second artist came back and had painted something rather different. He painted a picture of a waterfall uh, crashing down the side of a precipice, crashing into the water below. Spray everywhere. You could imagine the noise. And by the side of the, uh, the waterfall, he painted some trees and some branches from the trees were, uh, were overhanging uh, the waterfall. And at the end of one of the branches, he painted a little bird in the midst of all this noise and chaos and spray and confusion. And the little bird on the end of this branch was fast asleep. And he said, that's peace. It's not the absence of chaos and confusion and disturbance. It's peace in the midst of chaos and confusion and disturbance. And that's the peace that Jesus brings to his disciples. They're confused and afraid. And he comes and he says, 
peace be with you. And the reality is for us in our lives is there are very few moments in life when everything is quiet. There are very few moments in life where everything is as we would want it to be, where all our relationships are perfectly peaceful, where we face no trials or difficulties or troubles. It's unrealistic to think that in this life we will ever have more than a few moments, brief seasons, where everything is like that. That's not the peace that Jesus brings. It's not that suddenly there's the absence of disturbance. It's It's that Jesus brings peace into the midst of disturbance, into the midst of chaos, because he promises to be with us. How we long for peace in our lives, how we long for peace in our communities, how we long for peace in our world. How do we... How do we find that peace? I've just been um, reading in the last couple of days the, uh, the origins of, of um, humanism, uh, which is now so secular. Uh, you know, we think of humanism now in our world, we think of secular humanism, we think of, of atheism. Uh, the original humanists were people of religion, but who felt very much that we could be uh, the solution to our own problems. Uh, that, yes, there was a spiritual dimension to life that needed to be embraced, but that actually, as human beings, we could solve our own problems, we could produce our own peace. Uh, well, actually, if we want to find peace, it has to begin with finding peace with God. And that's what Jesus offers us through the living relationship that he invites us into. If we want to find peace... Uh, first of all, we have to find peace with ourselves. And how do we find peace with ourselves? Well, we find peace with ourselves by finding peace with God, the God who forgives us, the God who sent his son Jesus to die on the cross in order that all our guilt and shame might be removed. And it's only when we are at peace with ourselves that we can begin to find peace with one another. Because once we've found peace with God, then we can stop living competitive lives. We can stop bigging ourselves up by putting other people down. We can stop being so judgmental because we know that we're loved. That's the point of the cross. It is God's revelation of his love for us. And once you know how extravagantly you are loved by God, then you can start to be at peace with those around you. We can stop judging. We can stop condemning. We can, we can start remembering that actually we are all Sinners who need God's grace, who need God's forgiveness. And it's only when we can start living like that that we can begin to discover peace in our world. Jesus says, peace be with you. And then he says, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Why did the Father send Jesus into the world? Well, the Father sent Jesus into the world to be a reconciler, to be the one who would bring peace, the one who would um, enlarge the kingdom of God, the one who would bring a message of, of love and redemption and healing, a message that God had not finished with the world, but that God had great plans for for renewal and for recreation. And Jesus says, as the Father sent me, 
I'm sending you. That's now your task. That's now our task to be reconcilers. Wherever we go to take the presence of God with us and the message of God with us. Those of us who know and love the Lord Jesus Christ and who follow the Lord Jesus Christ, what's our, what's our purpose? Our purpose is to bring a message of reconciliation. Our purpose is not simply to, is, you know, to gather. Our purpose is to be dispersed. Our purpose is to take this good news of Jesus to those who don't yet know him. Uh, Jesus wasn't raised in order just that we might be gathered together to worship. He was raised in order that we might be sent out. The Father sends Jesus and Jesus says to us, I'm sending you. And we're all included in that. He doesn't just send some of us. If we know and love the Lord Jesus Christ, then we are By definition, those who are sent. He sends us to our families. He sends us to our friends. He sends us to our places of work. He sends us to our communities. He sends us with that message of reconciliation. Then sixthly, verse 22, uh, Jesus says, as he sends them, he says, receive the Holy Spirit. Receive the Holy Spirit. Jesus uh, sends us, but he doesn't send us on our own. He doesn't send us with our own resources. He says, I'll come with you. It's a promise that Jesus has made to his um, uh, disciples a little earlier on uh, in the gospel. In chapter 14, Jesus makes this promise to his disciples. He says, if you love me, You will obey what I command and I will ask the Father and he will give you another counsellor to be with you forever, the Spirit of Truth. The counsellor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Uh, Jesus says to his disciples, even as he sends them out, he says, Receive the Holy Spirit. Don't go in your own strength, but know that I will be with you. Uh, Paul, in one of his letters, writes that uh, Jesus was the image of the invisible God. He was the image of the invisible God. As we look at Jesus, we see, we see God. We see the character of God. We see the nature of God. We hear the words of God. We see the actions of God. And Jesus promised the Holy Spirit to us so that we might more and more and more reflect the image of God as we live our lives. We will never be the image of God as Jesus was, but we are called to live in the image of God. We are called to live lives that are Christ-like. We're called to live lives that are transformed by the Holy Spirit. That's why I, almost every day, I pray that God will fill me afresh with his Holy Spirit, that he will continue that work of transformation in me, that more and more I might reflect the image of God as I live this life. Receive the Holy Spirit, Jesus says to his disciples, and he says to us, 
in order that we might fulfill the purpose that he has for our lives to be reconcilers, to take this message into the world. One of the reasons that Jesus ascends um, into heaven, one of the reasons that Jesus says to Mary, don't hold on to me, is because he needs to ascend to the Father in order to send the Holy Spirit. Imagine Jesus had not ascended to the Father. Imagine Jesus had continued to live his eternal life as a physical human being in Jerusalem. What would have happened? Well, it would have, it would have been like pulling, the, you know, pulling the, the plug out of the bath. All the water rushes to the plug hole. Everyone would have rushed to Jerusalem. Jesus ascends to his father so that the gospel, so that the kingdom may not uh, be centred in Jerusalem, but may be, if you like, expelled for, from Jerusalem into the world. Jesus sends his disciples out to all the nations to take the good news of Jesus to the ends of the earth. And how does he do that? Well, he does that through his church. He does that through us. Which brings us to the seventh thing that Jesus says on this first day of resurrection, verse 23. And this extraordinary um, commission where Jesus says, if you forgive anyone their sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. What extraordinary uh, delegation. What an extraordinary responsibility that God gives to his disciples. Uh, Remember one of the very first um, uh, controversies that Jesus is caught up in was that occasion Uh, Right at the beginning of Mark's gospel where a paralysed man is brought to Jesus. Uh, They break a hole in the roof, they lower him down and Jesus says to this paralysed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. And all the religious people are there who are outraged because they know that it is only God who is in a position to forgive sins. It's only a, a holy, perfect God who is in a place to say, your sins are forgiven. It's God's place. It's God's responsibility. That's God's job to do. We are in the position of needing to come to him and say, Lord, would you forgive me? That occasion in Mark's gospel, the thing that the religious people fail to realise is that Jesus is God. The word made flesh standing in their midst. He has every right to say to this paralysed man, son, your sins are forgiven because he is God. No problem there. But now, this is uh, as extraordinary. Jesus says to his apostles, says to his disciples, if you forgive anyone their sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. It's extraordinary because now Jesus is giving um, that authority to his disciples, the authority of God to proclaim forgiveness of sins. Well, it takes us back to the purpose that God has for our lives as we follow Jesus, which is to be reconcilers. How, how are we reconciled? How are we reconciled to the Father? Well, it's through receiving forgiveness. It's through being forgiven. Remember when Jesus died on the cross, the curtain in the temple that separated the Holy of Holies, the very presence of God from the rest of the world, was torn in two from top to bottom. The barrier was removed. If we want to live at peace in this world, we need to find peace with God. And we do that through finding forgiveness 
by coming to the Lord Jesus Christ. If we want to find comfort in our troubles, we find comfort in our troubles by knowing the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're able to find the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ because that barrier has been removed. Guilt has been removed. Shame has been removed. Our sins are forgiven. That is the heart of the gospel. That's the message that we are given to proclaim, to say to people in Jesus Christ, your sins are forgiven. In Jesus Christ, your guilt is assuaged. In Jesus Christ, your shame is removed. The message that we are tasked with proclaiming is one of eternal life. takes us back to those first words that Jesus says to Mary as he, as he greets her and says, why are you crying? Well, she's crying because she's not at peace. She's crying because she's in despair. She's crying because her heart is broken. And then a man who was supposed to be dead speaks and everything changes. And so too for us, the Lord Jesus comes to us. A man who was supposed to be dead speaks and everything changes. Suddenly we have hope, suddenly we have joy, suddenly we have peace and suddenly we have a message of good news to share with our world. And so in this Easter season, as we reflect on the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, may we be renewed and encouraged in our task to be reconcilers in this world as we share the good news of Jesus Christ. Let's take a few moments now to, to pray and to ask that the Lord Jesus, by his Holy Spirit, would draw near to us, that we may hear um, these words, that if we're grieving, we may hear the words of the living Lord Jesus, why are you crying? And then to hear him speak our name. To hear him say to us, peace be with you. Not a peace that comes because of the absence of conflict and disturbance, but which is spoken right into the middle of our disturbance. A God who has a purpose for us. Lord Jesus, by your Holy Spirit, would you renew in us our purpose to be reconcilers in this world, to be the ones who proclaim forgiveness of sins, because that's what we've received.